Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Today, Christ the living stone. That's what we're going to see today. Jesus is the living stone. If you are able, I'd ask that you would stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to read verses 4 through 8 of 1 Peter chapter 2. What you're going to see is that Peter is moving on from this picture of babies feeding to a building being built. Verse 4. This is God's Word. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is God's word, and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can come today and hear your very words. Lord, I pray that you would give us extreme humility in your presence and with one another, knowing that our words are weak, but your word is strong. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with our hearts. I pray that we would truly listen for the main point of this passage and not run past it but but accept it as what you want us to personally have and have together as a group and to think about and to to live and to to practice and to do lord god we pray that that you would be honored in our hearts that you would be honored in our assembly and that the name of Jesus, above all, would be exalted. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. If you think that sometimes I, I, I make too big of a deal about reading the Word of God, please know that I can't make too big a deal of it. And that any deal I make of it is... is is nothing compared to the deal that should be made of it. This is the Word of God. The Word of God that stands, and and Peter, I love it, Peter is actually quoting Scripture as the Holy Spirit is moving him to write, right? The Bible, God's Word says, is God-breathed, right? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correction, training in righteousness, and and a host of other things so that we would be equipped for every good work. Peter is 
He's using the word of God. He's, he's writing this letter. He's preaching this letter. And the Holy Spirit is moving him to write every single word. It's, it's inspired by God. It's God's very word. And this is what we get to contemplate right now. The word of God. The word of God that stands above all other words. We live in a world of words. We are people who who know words, and God has given us his word in a world of words. We can understand words, but these words are different than any other word. Don't ever forget this. It has nothing to do with my sermon right now, really. It's just uh, God wants me to say this right now, and I'm going to keep saying it. God's word is awesome. God's word is, is holy. It's perfect. It's it's. It's used by the Holy Spirit to change us. That's what I'm trusting God to do in these next few moments, is change us. Grab our hearts, grab our souls, and do something in us that there is no way we could do ourselves. No way in the world. No way in the universe could we do anything like God is going to do. Last week we looked at three key words that are key to your growth in Christ. Three Greek words. Oxano, Apotithemi and epipatheo. The idea of extreme rejection of sin and extreme desire for the word of God that you need to grow in Christ. To grow in Christ, you need to, as I put it with the traffic signal idea, you need to obey the red light and say no to sin. And obey the green light and say yes to Jesus and his word. Again and again and again. On an ongoing basis, on a daily basis, Hour by hour, minute by minute, moment by moment. Peter has been encouraging and assuring persecuted Christians whose persecution would get worse under Nero, but they had it pretty bad, and he was telling them how great the salvation that Jesus has given them is. And then he gives them these imperatives. We've, we've seen these over a number of weeks. First and foremost is fix your hope firmly on the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea is fix your hope on future grace when Jesus returns. Secondly, he says, be holy as I am holy. And we get scared of that, don't we? We're like, ah, I don't know how to be holy. I, I'm, I feel really unholy. And what you see is that as you follow Jesus, as you follow his word, as you trust the Holy Spirit, God makes you more like Jesus, even if you don't feel like it. Maybe sometimes the more you don't feel like it, the more you're humble, and God then uses you even more. And then another imperative, fear your heavenly Father. Fear displeasing Him in some way and incurring His discipline upon your life. And then he says, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember how we we looked at how we're supposed to stretch as far as we can go in showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our family in Christ. And then last week, another imperative. Say no to sin, but the big imperative is long for the pure spiritual milk. Why? Because that's how you grow up to salvation. That's how you grow up into this, into this salvation that Christ has given you. That's how you mature. So what is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-8 through 8 all about? 
What's going on here? There's really one big idea, one, one main event. It's that Jesus Christ is the living stone. And then there are two responses to that big idea. And each has its corresponding results. It's really simple. That's what we're going to look at today. First, the, the big idea that Jesus is the living stone. If you've been with us in this study of 1 Peter, you're like, wait a minute, I, I see another pattern. Peter is very fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here you see he is really interested in life. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We who believe have been born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope. Then he says in chapter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of seed that is perishable, but seed that is imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So we have got a living hope. We have got the living Word. And now he says, You've got a living Lord. And I'm going to call him a living stone. And the reason why is because he is quoting from Isaiah 28 and he's quoting from Psalm 118 and he is quoting from Isaiah 8. The main idea, the big event here is that Jesus is the living stone. How so? What does that mean for Jesus to be the living stone? It means that he was crucified. He died for our sins. It means he was buried. It means that he rose from the dead and that he is reigning now and he is coming again for all who believe with blessing and coming for those who don't believe with judgment. He is the living stone. And I think it's kind of weird, isn't it? Living stone put together? When was the last time you saw a rock, you know, walking around? When was the time you saw a stone talking? Now, Jesus did say, If his disciples were silent about praising him, the stones would cry out, right? So the stones are on standby waiting to see if we're going to praise him or not. So at the end of this service, when we sing a song and it's got the word hallelujah in it with an exclamation point, shout it out. It's only appropriate. As you come to him, a living stone, verse 4 says, rejected by men but precious and chosen in the sight of God. The only appraisal that counts is God's opinion. What if you had the opportunity to say you could have either one of the door number one, door number two, behind door number one, everyone in the whole world would agree with you. Door number two, God. God would agree that you are blessed in Christ. If you had those two options and you could only pick one and they're mutually exclusive, which one would you pick? The only one that counts is God's appraisal of us. Only one, only thing that counts, knowing that you are chosen and precious in the sight of God. It's okay to be rejected by man. It's not okay to be rejected by God. The response to this main event, this, the two responses, there's only two. Number one, you are going to come to the stone We're going to see that that's a a continual over and over again coming to Jesus as your source of life, as your sustainer and provider. Like coming to a well that does not run dry. The other option is stumbling on the stone. 
We'll see that in verses 7 and 8. But first, verses 4 through 6, let's look at response number 1. And each one of these responses has a corresponding um, group of results. You see them right here in the text. So number 1, coming to the stone. That's the first response to Jesus Christ, the living stone. Scripture, by the way, is very full of stone imagery. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to find things where stones are being used of, and actually God is being spoken of as a stone. Isaiah chapter 8, Jesus is called the stone of stumbling. Isaiah chapter 26, God is called the everlasting rock. Isaiah 51, God is spoken of as a rock that is to be listened to. Isaiah 28 here, quoted here, the tested precious cornerstone. Psalm 118, 22, quoted here, the rejected cornerstone. Daniel 2, 34 has a stone cut out by no human hand. And Zechariah 12 has a heavy stone for all the people. The idea of coming to the stone is that as a believer in Jesus, you would continually come to Jesus. And the reason why is because you need Him. You're needy. You're humble. You're hungry. You're dependent. You want to be obedient. By the way, this section here, these four, five verses, is connected to the one before it by by a phrase. As you come to Him. In verse 3 of chapter 2, Peter has said, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He is quoting from Psalm 34, verse 8. Now he is continuing to quote from Psalm 34. Because it says, as you come to him. The word picture changes from Christ as spiritual food to Christ as spiritual rock. Because the next phrase, after taste and see that the Lord is good, is Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's this picture of a rock. It's like you're trying to escape from the heat and you go under a big boulder or you're trying to escape from enemies that are chasing you down and you go up in the hills and, and, and find refuge in rock. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. There's that idea of not being put to shame when you believe in the Lord. So this idea of coming to Jesus, it's the idea of approaching, of drawing near. It's a word of proximity, of motion towards something, coming nearer and nearer to the object, going somewhere. It's the word that is used in Hebrews chapter 4 about coming boldly to God's throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a believer word. It's not the idea of coming to initial faith in Christ at conversion where you say, I believe in the Lord Jesus and I'm saved and and maybe it's the first time you've, you've made that profession your whole life. The idea is that if a believer keeps coming to Jesus and and like Ephesians 2 says, we're brought near by the blood of Christ. We're able to come near because of the blood of Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus 
said these words that are so familiar to so many, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden because of your sin, basically, and I will give you rest. So you do come to Christ in initial conversion and salvation, but there's this continual coming to Christ that Peter is talking about here. Jesus is the living stone. He is stable. He is the the risen Lord. God raising Jesus from the dead shows Jesus' value and, and God's choice of Him. God the Father choosing God the Son. The rejection of Christ is the valuation put on Jesus by, by mankind and sa- that says you're not worth anything. You know what the opposite of coming to Jesus is? Jonah. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. Here's how it starts. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. God had given him very specific instructions, but Jonah didn't like those instructions. And so Jonah ran away from God. He headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship that was bound for that port. He paid the fare. He went on board, and he sailed from Tarshish. For Tarshish. Why? To flee from God. To flee from God. That's the opposite of coming to the Lord, coming to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, the, the result is that you are a living stone. You're, you're raised from, the, the idea there is you're raised from spiritual deadness into new life in Christ, into spiritual life. Verse 5 says, You yourselves like living stones. Now, we can see this idea of Jesus being the living stone and, and we can latch onto it, but then we are called living stones and it gets a bit frightening, doesn't it? Like, wait a minute, wait, I'm a living stone now? How so? And how am I different from Jesus? Well, he's, he's the big, you know, capital L living, capital S living stone. But it says that we then are like living stones because we are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ now there's a mouthful that's a lot of stuff isn't it you see that God is building believers into a spiritual house the idea is being built into a dwelling of God by the spirit you know Jesus told Peter that he would do this Matthew chapter 16, he tells Peter that he's going to build his church. That Jesus is going to build his church. Build Jesus' church. I had a pastor once that told me, I'm going to build my church. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus building Jesus' church. Capital C, big church of Christ, uh, comprised of every believer who truly knows the Lord Jesus. All true believers. God is building believers into this spiritual house. And so Peter sees in the coming of individuals to Jesus, the rock of the building of a new spiritual building. Think with me back to the Old Testament, to Solomon. 
Solomon was so amazed at how gracious God was that he would dwell among his people and dwell in a house, in a temple that Solomon built. But the local manifestation of God's presence on earth is is now his indwelling of all believers. God indwells his people. The phrase is, you are being built. Notice that it doesn't say, build yourselves. As if God would say, well, you know, I gave you salvation. Let's see what you can do with that. Let's see where you can take that. Let's see if you can develop yourself in such a way that I would be pleased with the end result because I started you out and you you kept yourself going and you kind of made something happen. Paul had some very strong words for the Galatians when he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Basically, who has cast a spell on you that you would think that what was started by the Spirit could be completed in the flesh? Can't happen. What what God is doing, and, and by the way, it's an indicative. It's what God is doing. It's not an imperative. It's not go build yourselves. It is God is building So when someone comes to faith in Christ, a new stone is added to the spiritual house. And this use of spiritual doesn't mean what we usually take it to mean. We say, well, so-and-so is very spiritual. And we're like, they're a cut above. They're super Christian. Because they're really, really spiritually. No, 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 no. The idea is this. Greek word is pneumatikos. It basically means of the Spirit. Born again by the Spirit of God, right? Right? Born again through the living and abiding word of God. The idea is that the Spirit is doing this and building the house, choosing the stones, bringing it all up. And the result to that is that Christ's church is a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Now some of you come from traditions where priest isn't a good thing. And priest is not a biblical thing in a tradition that you've come from. God is not interested in us latching onto man-made systems that, that co-opt his words and twist the truth and really confuse and hurt people. So the idea is avoid the traditional errors that you know about the word priest, but don't avoid this truth. Don't avoid this truth because this truth is the priesthood of all believers. Do you see the progression here? As you come to Him, so your believers coming to Jesus, He's the living stone, rejected by men, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There's the purpose that God is bringing about. Don't run away from this idea. This is, this is, this is a big, big idea that through the years the church has either lost, neglected, or come back to. The priesthood of all believers. If you think about the Old Testament priesthood, there are some priestly parallels here to the Old Testament priesthood. Verse 5 says, you are to be a holy priesthood. That's God's purpose for His church. Well, think back to the Old Testament. You can look in Exodus 28. You can look in Leviticus 8. You can look in Leviticus 10. The idea is, first and foremost, God chose the priests. God chose the priests. He told Moses exactly who to appoint, by name. I love John chapter 15. 
John chapter 15, all about Jesus being the true vine and us being the branches. Love that. Believers being the branches. I love in verse 5 where he says, apart from me you can do nothing. And I like verse 16 that says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that would remain. I love that. God is the one who chooses the priest, just like he, he, metaphorically, he chooses here the, the stones. We're the stones. We're like stones, it says. So he chose the priests, and, and the second priestly parallel is that he cleansed the priests before they began to serve. He cleansed them from sin before they start serving. It's not like you say, I'm going to serve God really hard so that I can get forgiven. I was talking to someone just the other day who basically said, I, I, I did a sin 20-some years ago, and to this day I am still paying for it. I said, you know, forgiveness in Christ is free to you, very costly to God. Forgiveness doesn't get earned. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to God. You can't work your way into a good relationship with Him. This holy priesthood, God chooses the priests. He cleanses them from sin before they begin serving so that when you serve God, you serve out of the overflow of the life of Christ in you. You say, Jesus showered so much mercy on me, so much grace that I didn't deserve, that all I want to do, because I'm already accepted in Christ, all I want to do is, is pour my heart out in, in love and adoration and pour my life out in serving God for what he has done you also see in the Old Testament priesthood that God provided for the priests he clothed them he anointed them and he prepared them for service and one more thing you'll notice he expected obedience from them he called them to obey him so what Peter is saying here is that through Jesus Christ, that's, that's a key here, through Jesus Christ, you notice at the end of verse 5, you offer, this holy priesthood offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. What he is saying is that through Christ's work on the cross, that every Christian is a part of Christ's priesthood. You go, that's kind of wacky, isn't it? Wow, I'm a priest? If you're a believer, yes, you are part of Christ's priesthood and you've got to keep reminding yourself it's not a man-made thing that maybe the tradition you came from made into some warped thing what it means is that every christian has moment by moment access to god and serves god personally and has something to offer as they minister to others through christ believers are able to worship and able to serve god in a pleasing way and that's, that's really the other result that you see in this passage is that Christ's people offer him pleasing sacrifices, pleasing spiritual sacrifices. But then you go, well, what are those? Am I supposed to go get an animal and kill it and cook it and let the smell be a pleasing aroma to God? What, what am I supposed to do here? And so you've got to go, wait a minute, what is the, even what does the Old Testament say about different sacrifices? Well, the Old Testament spoke of a prayer offering 
and a thanksgiving offering and a praise offering and repentance as being an offering to God. The New Testament speaks of offering faith, um, gifts as a fragrant offering, your bodies as living sacrifices, giving a sacrifice of praise to God, and even people coming to faith in Christ as a, an, an offering that's acceptable to God. Paul even talked about his impending death as a drink offering getting poured out for the sake of Christ. So I'll give you three things that I believe would be, would be very accurate biblically about what does it mean to give a spiritual sacrifice to God that's pleasing to him. Number one, your whole life. Your entire life. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, say this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, so all the mercy that God has poured out on you in Christ, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's just like what Peter was saying last week. Say no to sin. Say yes to Jesus and his word. Give your whole life. That means your mind. That means your body. And that means everything you do with your mind and your body is important to God. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Number two, praise and worship. And I don't mean like for one hour with a group of Christians every week when you sing songs. That's wonderful. I'm talking about moment by moment, day by day. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And then it says that this, this is what it is. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So when you want to complain, when you want to put someone down, when you want to even slander them, as Peter said, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, when you want to do those things, instead you offer a sacrifice of praise to God of what he has done for you in Christ. This is important. It's so important. And one more thing, I want to give one more thing about what would be a pleasing spiritual sacrifice. Not just your whole life, not just praise and worship, but doing righteous good works and generously sharing. You're like, what's a righteous good work? Well, it's, it's not an unrighteous one. <laughs> an unrighteous good work is where you say, I'm going to do this so that God will bless me. I'm going to do this so that God will accept me. I'm going to do this so that people will like me. That would be an unrighteous good work. Good works for the wrong reason, out of a warped motive. Righteous good works, again, is Jesus did this for me and I will trust God to use me for his glory. Okay? And generously sharing, the Bible is so full of opportunities and, 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 and encouragements for believers to generously share with others what God has blessed them with. Verse 6, Peter then says, it's because of what God's word says. He says, it stands in Scripture. It stands. It's settled. It's secure. And, and he's pointing to one particular Scripture. One particular Scripture. Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. No one wants to be shamed, do they? We want to escape to, to, to be shamed. 
Another way to translate this would be disappointed, which seems a little weaker, doesn't it? But what it means is this. You won't put your confidence in God and have God deceive you. You won't put your faith and hope in Christ and have him let you down. You can put your confidence in any number of people or things and you will be deceived. You can put your hope in any number of things and you will be let down. But what God is saying is you place your confidence in Jesus, the living stone, and you place your hope in him and you will not be deceived and you will never be let down. Absolutely. This is, this is, there's a reason for it. You go, why? Because he's a rock. He's a living stone. It's like a huge boulder. It's solid. He's immovable. He's unchangeable. The living stone. We're dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sovereign Savior. Peter is supporting his teaching with Scripture. It's awesome because we are now reading Scripture that is quoting Scripture. Quotes Isaiah 28, 16, and he's talking about God's foundation stone, this very carefully chosen and very costly stone that was being placed in position in Zion. The picture is building of the temple. At great cost, at great care, the corner foundation stone was obtained and moved and laid. You may have landscape rocks at your, at your house. You say, well, that's a big rock. We had to get a big old crane to bring it in. Or, you know, 15 people had to, had to carry that together. It was such a big boulder. I heard of one stone back in Bible times that was in a quarry that was 69 feet long by 12 feet by 13 feet. That's a big stone. There are similarly large foundation stones that are in many places in the Middle East. And once the large foundation stone was in place, then you could figure out how to build the rest of the building. Here is Jesus, the foundation stone. Here is Jesus, the cornerstone. And he's building his house. And what he's saying is, don't, don't, build your, don't build your life on lies and falsehood. Build your life on the truth. Whoever builds on the foundation of Christ will be established, will never be ashamed. So Peter says in verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But then he makes this shift, a very stark contrast. He says, but for those who do not believe. He said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The honor for Christians is linked to their union in Christ. Because Christ is honored by God, all who believe are honored in Christ. But then it becomes this shift, this contrast, that the first response is coming to the stone, coming to Jesus. But the second response is going completely in the opposite direction and stumbling over the stone. Well, the idea is that unbelievers will continually stumble over Jesus. Self-sufficient, proud, self-satisfied, independent, deceived. They won't go and believe the gospel they'll reject the gospel over and over and over again the result of their rejection and their stumbling is they refuse to believe the truth they are defiantly unwilling to believe the truth so for unbelievers there are two other stone references from the old testament but they're very strong warnings they're not for blessing 
Psalm 118, verse 22, the, the stone that the builders rejected ended up being one they should not have rejected. If you're building a, a large building and you left one big, important piece out, like a foundation. So they find out that they are stumbled over the stone that they should have exalted. It says that they are disobedient to the word. They are arrogantly opposed to God. They don't obey the gospel. And, probably the toughest words for us to read, they are destined, they are appointed to their judgment and their doom. God decrees and knows that this will happen. What happened? What happens when someone stumbles over Jesus? Basically, God judges unbelievers as, as a consequence of, of their lack of love for Jesus. They're disobedient to the word. They don't believe the gospel, and they refuse to believe in him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Unbelievers will receive the exact, the exact judgment that, they, that they, their simple choice deserves. Those who reject Christ stumble and suffer divine judgment. I like to say that if your heart is still beating and you're still breathing, there's hope for you. But there are some people, the Bible is clear about this, that have gone so far, God gives them over into their sins. They're not going to repent. But if someone's living and breathing and alive, preach the gospel to them. You have no idea how God might move, the Holy Spirit might move and use his word to cause them to be born again, to cause them to, to come to faith. You're either coming to the stone or you're stumbling on the stone. It's all about coming to the stone or stumbling over the stone. Those who come are being built by God into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, free access to God, and to offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Every Christian wants to please God. But those who stumble disbelieve the truth and are disobedient to the word, and so their doom gets settled. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time here is focus on a few applications for believers. If you're not a believer, if you're, if you're in, the, in the category of stumbling over Jesus, I would say, with all the love in my heart, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in his, in his death on the cross for your sins. Believe in his resurrection from the dead. Believe that he is coming back. But I want to talk to believers right now about several things that weigh heavy on my heart. The first thing is our unity as the family of God. It says that we are living stones. So we have new life in Christ and we're being built into a spiritual house. So the idea is believers really are family together. We're linked by God. We're linked by our desire to be together into this growing community that doesn't stay the same. It's not static. We are being, becoming more what God wants us to be as we cooperate with his work. And my heart is often burdened by the needs that I see. And I want, as a shepherd of the flock, I want to, to deeply help. I want to be a burden bearer. But the good thing, the awesome thing is that Jesus is in charge of all this. He is the living stone. We are graciously and amazingly his instruments. We are his tools, if you will, that he is using to get his work done. 
But what happens is we mess things up when we conflict with other stones instead of comfort one another. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you, you saw a stone wall and one of the stones was shielding itself from another and said, I won't look at that stone three rows up and four to the left? Because it looked at me the wrong way once. It said something that hurt my feelings. I don't like it. That stone smells funny. That stone, the stone is not my friend. That's kind of weird, right? But these are living stones. These are personified stones. That's the metaphor. So, hey. Side by side, we're supposed to be comforting and strengthening one another. We're going to talk about that tonight, about how you can help people change. How you yourself, who are in great need of change, can help others as you trust the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God, and engaging in a, with other people's lives, help people come to lasting change because God uses you as His instrument in His redeeming hands. Strengthening one another, coming alongside one another, building one another up, not ignoring the other stones, not fighting with the other stones. So our unity as a family, as living stones, new in Christ, built up into a spiritual house. Number two, I want to talk about our involvement with, with the spiritual house. Our gatherings, even our worship. Because it says that we're a holy priesthood. And the idea is that we should not be consumers, but consumed by the glory of God in Christ. I don't even need to, to tell you. You've probably all heard and seen about what the Osteens said this week. They have consistently twisted the gospel and not preached the gospel and totally trashed the word of God. And they got the biggest church in America. They're telling people everything they want to hear. But it's so easy for us to condemn them for their lack of gospel-centeredness and and their trashing of the word of God, and then do similar, but not so blatant, just more subtle and hidden things ourselves. How so? When we look at ourselves as a consumer, what it means, instead of a contributor, what it means is we have bought into the mindset of the world, and we treat the church like a smorgasbord, or like, there's some options I really like. Well, that one doesn't make me feel good. I totally know about that one already, and, and this one has people in it that I don't like. And we have been deceived into thinking that we just pick and choose whatever feels good to our flesh. And we say that's what it means to be in the body of Christ. We get all self-focused. Here's the way it should be. Is God's word honored? Is Christ being exalted? Will my family be there? I'm there. That's how you should look at your engagement with the body of Christ. Thabiti Annuabili, I won't spell it for you right now, but he has a book called Marks of a Healthy Church Member. And he says that you should be an expositional listener. And what that means, we're, we're committed to expositional preaching here. What it means is, the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. Jesus is the living word. That's the main point of this passage. An expositional listener listens for the main point and then says, that's what I personally need and what we together need from God this day or this week. And I'm going to latch on to that. I'm going to accept it 
as what God wants for me and for us. That's the idea behind that. We're not consumers. We're to be consumed by the glory of God in Christ. Let me briefly mention two other things. The third thing is our service, our ministry. To offer, it says, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. But what happens is if we start competing with one another for giftedness or position, instead of being co-laborers, we mess things up. We muddy the waters. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have a gifting from God. As 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, you have the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer in Jesus has been given a gift or a combination of gifts that are to be used by the Spirit for the common good. But what often happens among Christians is we compare ourselves to other people. We either think we're better or worse I compare myself too often with people and think, oh, I, I'm not as gifted as them, so I'm discouraged or I'm defeated or feel like a failure as if it, it all depends on me. Or, or it's easy for me to look and go, well, I'm better than that. I'm going to m- mention two common errors, though. And, and one is if you're really, really young and one is if you're really, really old. So if you're kind of in the middle, just go to whichever one you think you're on whatever end of the spectrum you think you're on okay first of all an error that the really really young do they say you know i'm gonna wait to serve god because i'm too young i'm too young to make a difference i'm not able yet and to that i say a resounding no don't say that don't sell yourself short don't think because no one's tapping you on the shoulder and going, hey, you should go do this, that you have nothing to give in the body of Christ. Every single person in here. Now, the brand new babies, we'll talk later, but those who can understand what I'm saying, and you're here, you all are gifted. And the youngest among us, you have gifts from the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to use in this body of Christ. So don't say, I'm going to wait till I'm older. And shame on us if we tell you that. Find out what, what has God given you in your heart that you say, this is what I really want to do to serve God. And then talk to someone about it. Talk to your parents. Talk to a pastor or an elder or another church leader or just someone in your home group or someone that you know and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And then if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're older, here's, here's the easiest thing to say is, well, I'm going to cruise because I'm too old. They put me out to pasture a long time ago. And I'm not useful any longer. And to that I say a renowning no. Shame on us if we do that. Well, one of the things that bugs me is there's some churches nowadays that say you can only be up on stage if you're in a certain age group. Some churches say you can only be in church if you're in a certain age group. God have mercy on us for making such distinctions that God does not make. Last thing I want to mention. It's probably the toughest thing for me to say. But I want to take a few moments to address something that I think is more common than any of us want to admit. It has to do with verse 4. Coming to Him as a living stone. It has to do with verse 6. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Meaning, you won't put your confidence in God and be deceived. You won't put your hope in Jesus and be let down. 
And the reason why is because he's a rock. Huge, solid, immovable, unchanging rock. But the thing is, and I think this is so often unspoken in the body of Christ, so often unspoken in the church, that believers will start wavering and questioning and doubting their faith. They doubt the authority of the word of God. They doubt the truthfulness of God's character. They doubt the gospel message. And they don't want to tell anyone about it because they think, I'm going to look bad. I'm going to be put down. I'm, I'm going to be seen as really deficient. I shouldn't be thinking these things. See, it's tough to come to Jesus when you're doubting him. But what happens is often we go, well, I'll figure this one out on my own. None of us are strong enough to do that. Jude one twenty three says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Snatch others, it says, from the fire. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, help the weak. Let me say a few things about this because I'm, I'm convinced that there's more than a few people who are in this camp and they're hurting and they're afraid to say a word about it because they think of how they'll look. Let me say a few things. Let me say first and foremost, be careful who you go to. You've got to first and foremost go to Jesus. What happens often when you think that someone doesn't like you or someone doesn't have your best interests in mind? You will often go and talk to someone else instead of that person. Instead of giving that person a chance to reassure you, you might go to someone who doesn't like them and feed your suspicions. Come to Jesus. Again and again and again. If you're a believer and you're doubting, come to Jesus. And come to his family. Come to his family. Take a huge risk and be honest with someone. Don't say, I can figure this out myself. Go to someone who's a person you, who deeply cares for you or looks like someone who might and realize you'll have no judgment and any looking down on you at all. Of course, if you're being very honest, you run a risk. But I will tell you this, I know that there are some really good explanations that will turn you towards a better sense of being solid in your faith and help bring you to a place of greater spiritual health but any good words you get from anyone else is not the word of God and they're not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will use the word of God in your life as you're engaged with other believers let me say this too God's word can stand any test and any scrutiny God is our ultimate authority his word stands it is the manifestation of his character of of who he is the representation of who he is and he gave us his word in a world of words we are people who understand words and he gave us that he he created this i don't know matrixy system that we can't even figure out that that humans can have faith in an unseen god so peter said you don't see him but you love him you don't see him now but you believe in him it's because you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. It's because you've been born again by the Word of God. It's because you have a living stone. But beware of your words and your heart. Your feelings can actually be elevated in your own mind above God. 
I think we're all more proud than we think we are. It's easy for us to think of ourselves as humble. You should push against your words. Because your words are not able to bear the scrutiny that God's word is able to bear. His is like a vault that can't get broken into. You are safe and secure in Jesus. Our words are like Swiss cheese, full of holes, riddled with holes. One last thing. Don't downplay it if you're in the danger zone. Don't downplay it. The safest place is Jesus. We are often like those disciples when Jesus says, you know, you are of little faith. Literally, you are little faiths. But even that little faith, Jesus said, can move mountains because it isn't the bigness of your faith. It is the bigness of our God and Savior. It is the bigness of Jesus that makes the big difference. The Bible can withstand any scrutiny, but it is not good or healthy for you to go for a long time in a direction that questions the authority and veracity of God's word. Nothing is too difficult for God and his word, but doubt is ultimately not a safe place to stay. I have some good friends who were in a similar place in the past and they, they kept walking. I've known some people that have come back to a solid faith and I've actually known more that when they were in the danger zone, they kept walking. And I want nothing more for you than to, for you to be safe and secure in Jesus, in who he is, in the living stone, in being solid on what the word of God is, the very word of God, and that you in Christ are safe. Lord God, help us to love the message of the gospel that you love us so much that you would give your son to die in our place so that our sin would be forgiven and that we would be reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord, that though we cannot see you, we love you. And though we cannot see you now, we believe in you because of the Holy Spirit, because of your word. Thank you that you tell us we should examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Lord, help us not leave ourselves any wiggle room. Every one of us struggles daily about giving into sin and pleasure on a moment-by-moment basis rather than submitting to your lordship and the authority of your word. But Lord, help us run to Jesus with every ounce of energy that we have. Help us run to Jesus as the only answer to our doubts, to our questions, and that there is no condemnation in Christ, even for our doubting. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.